This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am Alex Fitton, and I am bringing you episodes on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journeys this whole season. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Adoptive Mom, and I would love to have you follow along. You're listening to episode eight of season seven, and that makes episode 101 in all. Today, we are still in our number series with two amazing past guests. Amy Butler from episodes 5 and 42, and Jolene Smith from episode 51, who are both Enneagram 5s. With that said, let's go hear all about them and their Enneagram type. Enneagram 5s are called the observers or the investigators. They are notable for their desire to be capable, competent, and mentally prepared, and a basic fear of being seen as useless or incompetent. They seek to be fully prepared for every situation by thinking about, processing, and understanding to the very best of their ability. If they cannot or do not have a firm grasp on a situation before going into it, they will find themselves anxious, worried, and experience a strong desire to withdraw from it. Because of this level of thoughtfulness, they have the unique ability to be truly objective without allowing emotions to get in the way. Enneagram 5s are in the thinking or head triad. They are thinking dominant, supported by feeling, and doing repressed. They are the first number in their triad, which means that they externalize their motivator, thinking. They apply their thoughts to the world around them and react by withdrawing in order to self-protect. They are more aware of the world around them and its impact on them than how the world experiences them or their impact on others. That is the ultimate healing journey of the five, to become more aware of how others perceive them in order to make a greater impact on the world and better enable them to share their natural gifts of intelligence, insightfulness, and objectivity. So like I said, fives join fours and nines in the withdrawn stance. Because they are doing repressed, they prefer to experience the world and others in a more controlled environment with their own safety precautions in mind. They are more satisfied to be alone and isolated where they can feel free to be truly themselves. They wake up each day with a fixed amount of energy and capacity, and that tank will not reset until the next day. So fives naturally become proficient at budgeting out their energy. When something comes up that they have not prepared for, they can shoot into their stress number very quickly as it will deplete emotional resources that they may have allocated to something else. Their deadly sin is greed, and it's because they tend to hoard emotional resources and be stingy in how much they give of themselves. So let's talk about wings. Fives with a four wing are called the philosophers. They tend to be more emotional than six wings and can more easily express their feelings to those they trust. They are more conscientious of their environment, and they seek to maintain their perceived safety by controlling it. Fives with a six wing are called the problem solvers. They are much more practical and logical and can more easily set aside their feelings in order to achieve a goal. They seek to use their knowledge to be the change they wish to see in the world, as Gandhi said. 
Okay, so looking at type five through the lens of our variants, we get our three subtypes of five. Self-preservation fives are the number on the Enneagram most comfortable with being alone. They know how quickly their energy can drain and they are willing to do almost anything to preserve it. Social fives are marked by their desire to be set apart. They are comfortable being in groups uh, so long as that group feels exclusive and superior to them. They can sometimes mistype as threes because their conscientiousness of position and power can, um, can make them think that they might be a three. Sexual fives prefer to pour their limited resources on as few people as possible, even usually just one. Like everyone who's ever lived, they seek to be loved and understood, and they would rather achieve this goal by being as intentional as possible with the person they want that love and affection from. Okay, in stress, fives go to seven, the enthusiast. They can become more impulsive and throw caution to the wind, so to speak. They can use adventure, humor, and even danger as a defense mechanism from their thoughts and fears. In security, however, fives go to eight, the challenger. They can feel more confident in their ideas and knowledge and want to use it to better the world around them. They will also become more assertive with the changes they see a need for and follow through with their plans to implement. I am so excited to chat with these incredible ladies about being a five in the adoption world. But first, I want to remind you to make this thing between us podcast feed official and subscribe wherever you like to listen. That can be on your podcast app or even on the website. Whatever that is for you, make sure that new episodes are automatically downloaded into your feed every week. Okay, on with the show. Welcome, guys, to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and welcome back to the show, Amy and Jolene. How's it going? Good. Glad to be here. Yeah? Nice. Beautiful day. Are you super glad to be here because you're both fives and you guys don't like to talk to people, right? That's like the whole stereotype. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> getting us out of our comfort zone, girl. Yes. But I, I was looking forward to it. I enjoyed the last one, so it's not so scary this time. Good, good. So yeah, that's a good point. You've both been on the show before. Um both of you were like, your episodes did amazing because, I don't know, there's, Amy's been on the show three, two or three times now, I, I think, think so. and then I Jolene so. once. Um, amazing, amazing feedback. So I'm really excited to have you back. But for those of you who, those of you listeners who do not remember them or haven't listened to their episodes yet, do you guys mind just taking a second and reminding us of who you are and what you do? Go ahead, Jolene. Sure. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Try to avoid long, awkward silences. Um, so my name is Jolene Smith, and I work for The Call in Northwest Arkansas as their database and finance coordinator. Um, I also am a foster, former foster mother and an adoptive mother and a biological mother and a, I don't know, neighborhood mother <laughs> <laughs> of uh, seven children. Office mother. Yes. Mom to everyone at the office. Yeah. And your last episode, Jolene, excuse me, was on um, it was on organization, which is something that you are very, very good at. And so it was really fun to have kind of like a practical episode that was like um, just how mm. how we can live in the grace of Jesus, but also keep everything in order and in line and keep ourselves sane. And the pull quote from that episode was you um, talking about a verse that says that we can make plans, but the Lord establishes our steps. And I still have that on an inspiration like whiteboard at my house. So thank you for continuing to inspire me. You're welcome. Um, Amy, who are you and what do you do? My name is Amy Butler and I am an adoptive mom and we adopted two different ways. We adopted through a private agency and we also got to adopt through 
the state of Arkansas through foster care and also a biological mom. And I am a counselor, trauma counselor, and I'm married to a guy who um, is in ministry. Okay. Yeah. And so um, her first episode was on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which was like, I think it's still uh, is like in the top five, like numbers wise episodes of all time. And then second time you talked about disrupted adoptions because you had right. one. So That's right. um, today though, we are going to talk about being an Enneagram five and an adoptive mom. And I think I am more excited for this episode than any of the others, maybe except for the one, because that's self-serving. <laughs> but um, so here's the deal. You know, the episode with Suzanne Stabile it already aired and she said that five women would have a really hard time being adoptive moms because of the specific and unique, I don't know, kind of like nuances that you guys deal with just being out in the world and being yourselves and feeling comfortable and doing that. So I'm really interested to uh, hear more about that. You guys are literally the only five adoptive moms I know. So I'm very, very excited <laughs> to talk to you guys. We're unicorns, Jolene. I know. I was thinking we may be the only five adoptive moms I know, too. I don't know. <laughs> That just means you're the strongest, right? Like you could win all so. the five moms. If I'm the sure five is doing it, it's because it's doable. Yes. Ooh, I like that, Jolene. Fight That's to win. True. So all of the five moms listening, uh, just know that you have amazing solidarity in these two women. And we're going to talk all about it. So first of all, I I just want to know, like, take it back to the beginning. Um, but before, you know, before your kids were home, before the adoptions were finalized, how did your personality influence the way you, like, looked at adoption and what drove you to adoption all the way to like the finalization. So when I look back in my story, this is Amy. Um, I, I got to go on this international trip to Guatemala back when I was in my early twenties and I stayed in an orphanage and that was kind of my first experience of um, living amongst kiddos that did not have um, parents. Um, they had like house parents. And so as an observer, I was taking it all in. Um, I, <clears throat> I just spent three months just pulling it all in. And I remember thinking to myself towards the end of my trip, man, I'm going to spend my life trying to figure out how to do something about what I just observed. Mm. Um, and so it really kind of started when in my early 20s. And and then, you know, I, I lived out more of my life before um, it kind of circled back around and became a counselor and just walking stuff with my husband. We had two biological kids before we started turning into this thing that had gotten put in my heart back when I was in my early 20s. And so um, definitely just observing, um, noticing, you know, other friends that would do foster care, I would think, man, they're crazy. Um, like, why would they take these really hard kids in? I, I remember kind of judging it or just really not understanding it, but I stayed curious. And so um, another mile marker in my journey as far as this pre-picture is I went to an adoption conference for our church. They were asking us, hey, can you go figure this out for us? We really want to like know what we're doing here. And so I was like, sure. And so um, went to this adoption conference and I, we all split up to be strategic and we did all these different breakout sessions. And somehow I ended up going to all the foster care um, breakouts. And remember, I had this like thing in my heart that was like, I would never want to do that. People that do that are crazy. And so <laughs> I literally just went to all these breakout sessions and just observing and hearing the pictures, all the dots started to connect, started to feel less scary. And in fact, not only was it not scary, my heart was actually moving into it with compassion and grief um, and wanting to mobilize to do something about it. So that's my pre-picture, all my observ <laughs> observations there. I was about to say, that actually is, is very like 
I don't know what we're talking about. That's very five exactly. of you. It's like you you observed, you created a hypothesis, you like, <laughs> you went through the scientific, you know, process. Totally, totally. <laughs> and it's doable. Yeah. Right? I calculated the costs and I was like, I, I think we can do this. But I think that that's in, I mean, we're going to get it more into this and I definitely want to hear from Jolene too, but I love what you just said about the cost because I, what I've learned from observing people that I know that are fives is that it all is a balance. Like you weigh so much in your head constantly. And it's like, what will this cost me? What will that cost me? What will this cost us as a family? And so I'm really excited to dive into that. Jolene, what got you to adoption and through adoption? (laughs) Um, so I, very similar to Amy, I, there was a lot of observation. And I think um, it's interesting hearing you talk about it in like that age range that you were in. Because um, I've been married for a few years. I'm in my mid-20s. We're thinking about family. And I had just um, – it doesn't feel like that long that you've been out of your parents' home, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to observe the world for myself and starting to see more and more things. We actually uh, – lived for two years in St. Louis. And so um, living there changed my view of how the world looked and worked because it doesn't look anything like Northwest Arkansas and uh, and just that big city and all the bustle and the poverty. And like, um, it really just got me thinking about the world. And uh, again, we were at church. We I had had encounters with other families that had fostered and adopted my husband, uh, younger sister is adopted, so their family. I was very familiar with that, but we had never talked about adoption as a thing for us. Uh, but through getting involved at church, that particular church that we were with had a ministry um, that didn't work through the state, uh, but actually did um, almost like pre-care. So families would come to them and say, we're having a hard time. We need somebody to host our child while we get things together. They provide services for that family, and they need host families for the children. And so one Sunday morning, they just made an announcement that they needed more foster parents because they don't have enough for the demand that they have for this particular ministry. And um, so, of course, being a five, and I had all these thoughts coming up already, I spent the entire uh, church service writing an essay <laughs> for my <laughs> husband about of course how, <laughs> how this was going to sound crazy. But here are all the reasons I think that we should consider uh, possibly fostering or adopting children uh, someday. And I handed him this essay. I mean, it was front and back on a piece of paper. And I saw him kind of like scratching in the corner. I was like, oh my goodness, he's going to like say, what in the world are you talking about? Or, you know, you're crazy. And uh, his only response was, you'll think this is crazy, but I was thinking the same thing. And I've, I have very few experiences in my life that emotionally charged me to do something in that was to me like God saying, this is on your heart for a reason and you guys are on the same page and I want to see um, more from this. So um, that just prompted, you know, like two years of research into (laughs) 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 how you adopt, where you adopt, what kind of paperwork's involved, how do we need to, and me structuring our life to get to that (laughs) point. But um, to this day, Ryan keeps that in his Bible so that we have that to refer back to. So. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, that is very similar. It's like you both weighed the pros and cons. You both made, you know, and, and I, that's so different from me because I am such an, I mean, I'm in the instinct driven triad. So it's like the gut reaction of just like, let's do it. And that makes me a lot more impulsive than you guys, which is good and bad. Um, but I don't know. I think that just having that thought process and being able to weigh and, and move 
when you know that it is from the Lord, it is the right thing to do. Like that's, that's something to be admired for sure. Um, so what about now? How do you think it influences your adoptive parenting now? Because the reason that Suzanne was saying that five women would have a hard time being adoptive moms is because you guys' energy is so limited and the energy required of kids who have been adopted because of their trauma, because of their backgrounds is sometimes more than what you guys feel like you can handle. And I love that you guys are like, uh, no, I'm going to do it. But yeah, what, how do, what does that look like right now? Oh, or gosh. since your kids came <laughs> home, we'll say that. So, so that question takes me back to when our second adoption was placed into our home. Um, you know, I didn't, back then I didn't know I was a five, didn't understand the Enneagram, had no idea. I had counted the costs like Jolene and I had talked about, but, and, and, and because I'm a trauma counselor, I had also counted the cost of trauma. Mm -hmm. I, I had in my brain, mind you, um, calculated the cost of, okay, this is going to be hard. I could tell everybody it's going to be hard. Um, but then when we actually walked it, I feel like it about killed me. Um, and back then I had no idea why that particular part of my story would, would do me in. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, when I think about how does it affect me now, I think about how during that time as a five, um, one of the, the most painful things a five can feel is that something is taken from them instead of given. Right. So we're really big into like, Hey, um, I've calculated this. I can give this to you, right? And and I will still sustain my my journey, right? We don't like to be in a place of not having enough, or to not be self sufficient, to not need people, right? So um, so when I got into that part of my story, um, what was going on in my home far exceeded my ability to stay self sufficient, yeah. And it broke me, and I mean that in a good way, right? Like it it broke me. It was very painful. And when I look at my healing journey. I can look back to that time in my life where as painful as it was, it began to unwind me and began to put me on a new new track of life where, where in my faith, I began to learn, um, wow, I need people, right? Um, I can't be self-sufficient and do this journey that Jesus has called me to. And so it was a really defining moment. And so when I hear that question, I go, well, um, how is it? Well, I still have trauma effects from that story I just told, right? Mm -hmm. Like I... I still struggle in my relationship um, with um, a child in my home um, because of that time. And I actively go to my own trauma counseling to try to deal with that part of my story. Mm -hmm. um, but in that, um, you know, how does my parenting affect, you know, how is it affected by my five? I need space. I, I need um I need space. And so it can look like in a humorous way where my kids are like, you know, laying in the bed around me or they just always want to be around me. And I'm like, hey, how about y'all go into the living room or <laughs> I'm always like shooing them away um, <laughs> and, you know, giving them kisses and hugs. I love you. But like, hey, can you go somewhere else? Um, and so my kids are used to that. And it also looks like I, I have a husband who is constantly creating these wonderful experiences. He He's very creative and um, creates lots of fun. He's a memory maker. And so as a five, I love to observe it. I, I love to sit outside of it and just watch my family having fun. And that is my fun. But my husband's like, hey, come on, come get in the tent, come play the game. And so I really have to like lean into those things and they feel fiery, even if I love them. Right. It's really hard to explain. Yeah. Um, and so um, specific to... Um, you know, I have to constantly be working through that feeling of, 
oh goodness, I, I have to have enough. I have to ground myself. I have to constantly lean into that part of me to give my kids a little bit more of me than my five would probably want or allow. Um, and so it's this constant battle. Um, exhausted is another word that comes up to me. Um, I'm always exhausted. My, my husband's probably so tired of hearing, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And I don't mean like sleepy. I mean, like my whole body is like whole body and mind just so tired mm-hmm. of engaging the needs of my kids. And so, but a pro, I was thinking about this. I'm not going to just talk about all the things that <laughs> my kids like suffer from, for me being a five, but a pro is that they get space, right? So I'm not a hovercraft parent, right? I don't, I don't um, demand a lot of structure. I don't, I don't do those things because I value space. So I hand out space. And so my kids have space to be them and their differences. They, I'm observant with them. So I'm the first one. So while my husband's like super in the experience of things, I'm the first one to say, Hey, I'm noticing something with this kid, something's different or off. Mm. And in my observations, then we together can go towards that with curiosity and making sure that we're staying connected where it matters. And so while I might not be in the throw and the mix of things all the time where it looks like, wow, Amy's like the super engaged parent. Um, on the other hand, in my observing role, um, I tend to pick up on things that might not otherwise be picked up on. And so it's like, hey, I've noticed this kid has been like, more separate lately, or I've noticed this could be an extra needy lately. Hey, let's lean into that and let's see what's going on with them uh, more on a invisible level. So, yeah. Oh, I love all of that. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting like plus side to, to consider. Um, Jolene, what about you? Um, yeah, I agree with all of that. I, so much of that is my life. Um, <laughs> I think uh, that deliberateness is, also a pro and of it in itself almost like everything that I do as a five parent is well I mean we do lose our tempers everyone's I mean they're kids no. <laughs> I mean, and they push. <laughs> but for the most part if I if I'm in a moment with you it's because I chose to be there mm. and everything that I'm that I do positively as a parent is a deliberate choice and a and an action to be there so to me that feels good. Like I would want to receive that and to know that um, my parent obviously wants to be there because they're there. Does that make sense? I, mean, they're like <laughs> I think uh, it makes a lot of sense. So I, I think those parts of parenting are good. And I think um, a, kind of a funny anecdote, some things that, like I just don't get phased by a whole lot. Like your emotions may overwhelm me at times, but they're not going to necessarily shock or upset me right or if you have crazy questions about um things that you heard on the bus i'm more likely to just draw up all the children together and say guess what so and so heard on the bus today let's talk about what you know x words mean and sometimes my husband has to like step in and tell me that we're at tmi um because <laughs> i'd rather just be direct and matter of fact and get all those things out at once so um and I think uh, I've seen um, with my children that, that that's actually opened up a good space for them as far as being able to talk about things that are concerning to them because they know that they're not going to get an overreaction. They'll, they're just going to get an answer. And yeah. I think that's positive parenting. So. What a gift to be able to hand to them. Because, I mean, I'm just thinking about, of, you know, of course, I'm thinking about all of this through my own experience. And that's something that is really hard for me. I do take on the emotions of 
other people. And that's really difficult to walk through. So it must be really nice to, to be able to almost like step outside of yourself and observe that, but not feel moved by it or thrown by it. Um, and that is a gift. That's a gift to be able to hand to your kids because, um, I don't know, I think it makes you more trustworthy to know that you're being genuine. The, obviously the flip side of the coin is struggling with empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I definitely do have that. I'm more likely, you know, if somebody comes to me crying to be like, okay, suck it up and talk to me when you can form words. Um, <laughs> but I try to channel that. But I, I, every personality, and that's what I love about the Enneagram is like, it's not, when you read it for yourself, you're, at least I am a little hard on myself. And I tend to see the negative things about that number. But the things that are, that are strengths in you are probably weaknesses in other people. And so when you have a family and you have that five in the family, it's not that you need to take on all the other roles that every other parent in the world you think is taking on. It's that you have particular gifts and your children hopefully are growing up with their own gifts that they lend to the family. You're all participating in it together. Yeah. Um, I'm about to do something that's going to make you guys upset because I didn't prepare you for this question. But that just brought to mind something that actually Amy told me was that each number of the Enneagram is um, an attribute of God. And of course, it's not limited to those nine things, but an attribute of God. And and that has always stuck with me and fascinated me because it's such a, it's such a great way to look at your personality and see it as a gift, to see it as something that is a reflection of, of Jesus. So what do you think, what do you guys think that that is, that attribute is? For five. Well, first of all, she's right that she put us on the spot. And we don't like it. <laughs> but it's from all, one of your statements. So I, I think know. you should have that. I feel answer. like you're going to make me answer that. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay. Attribute of God. I, I feel like in my relationship with Jesus that I recognize he gives me space. Um, that he is not all up in my grill trying to get me to do all the right things. He's not real preachy at me there. He's um, like I, in that culture of me walking with Jesus, he gives me space to be me um, and he walks with me there. And so I, I feel like that is a high value of mine and how I do my friendships, how I do my marriage, how I do my, with my kids as a mom. Um, that space word, I think is what comes up for me there. You know, um, maybe that's not necessarily like an, a core attribute, but just kind of a culture around God of, um, of space, you know, people got to be where they were. Um, I often refer to him as a gentleman, right? Mm. That he's not trying to be pushy and overbearing and things like that. Um, as far as his how and how he relates, and so maybe in his how, I see uh, space, and maybe that's connected to um, a respect or a value of self, um, where he doesn't impose on that. Like he allows us to be who and where we're at, and he engages us there with invitation. I like that. Um, I like that. I, do. I think that's, I don't know if I can top that. I'm not going to try to top it. Gosh, erase, <laughs> erase. I just mean, I don't know if I can add to that. Um, I, I was, the first thing that came to me again is, is intentionality. And I thought of Jesus telling his disciples that you have to count the cost. And so um, that's something that I do naturally, but obviously don't always uh, overcome. Like sometimes you can get stuck in counting the cost. And I think it's refreshing to know that if Jesus asks us to count the cost, it's because he's already counted the cost and he didn't limit himself there. Obviously he felt like we were worth whatever he was giving up. And, um, and that's comforting that 
he was intentional with um, with his plan and saw it through um, despite all the obvious costs that would have come up. So. I love that. No, both, both of those, like, ah, so much wisdom. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to move into was your personality and your fiveness as it relates to your kids. And between the two of you, you have double digits of children. So we don't have time to go through each one. So maybe just each of you pick the kid that you struggle with the most and talk about why you think that is in relation to your Enneagram number. Uh, my struggle for me is always with the most emotional child, and I know who that child is. I will not say their name. <laughs> um, but because that's just – it is just overwhelming to me. I don't understand it. I don't react that way. And so when you're reacting in an emotional way and I can't just have a conversation with you, I don't know what to do. I don't – like it doesn't come naturally to me to – to do the things that I've read about that are the appropriate <laughs> response to um, emotion. And I, and it's in, funny because my husband, who we talked about this earlier, who's an eight, does have um, emotion that he shares. And so it's, it's usually him saying, you don't have to explain this. You just need to say, I hear you. Or just say, mm-hmm. I feel like I don't like to lie either. So I'm not going to say, I understand how you feel if I don't. <laughs> understand how you feel but I can say I see you're upset I'm sorry that happened and those um that's my biggest struggle is trying to get into that space I would I would prefer and the world will never work this way for you to say I think I'm gonna have an emotional response to this can we meet up in two hours and talk about that and I'll be like yes I will prepare myself to meet your emotional needs in two hours I love that. That would be awesome, but that never happens. There's an episode of 30 Rock. Um, I don't know if you guys watch 30 Rock, but Alec Baldwin's character, Jack Donaghy, he has a business card that just says they're there on it. And so when someone's <laughs> crying, he just like hands them the business card. I would, that would be wonderful. <laughs> My kids would have a large collection. <laughs> uh, Amy, what about you? I think the kiddo that comes up for me is the one that has the most needs. Um, you know, I think when someone presents as needing me, needing me, needing me, um, in whatever form that comes in, and this particular one is the one that I have an attachment, um, like difficulties with. And so in that place, I think what that feels like to me as a five is like, Hey, this kid is just going to keep wanting or needing something for me that I don't have to give, especially when it's from a trauma place. And so, um, I think, I think what is hard about parenting as a five uh, with kids that come from hard places um, are those constant needs. And then we're taught um, when we when we get trained for this stuff, it's like, hey, you got to you got to you got to sit in there and you got to like lean in with empathy and comfort and care. And it's like, oh, my goodness, my fiveness is like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I need this kid to not need me anymore? Can they not just be self-sufficient over there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would say by far, um, when I think about what's the hardest um, thing to parent is not needs in general, but when it's needy, right? When it's just constant mm-hmm. from an insecure attachment place where it just never ends, like the the needs never end. It never feels like security is gained. Um, and so in my sustainability tracking the cost, I, I begin to feel like I can't breathe there. Like we're never going to get out of this pit. So mm-hmm. why am I going to invest in it? Yeah. And that's, I, as far as trauma is concerned, that's the, the key piece when you're talking about attachment is that 
if you want to, every book says, if you want to build attachment, you have to meet needs. So you meet the need and then attachment grows and you meet some more needs and more attachment grows. And, and, and it's upsetting almost like at a personal level that you can't have this chart that says I met 18 needs. Therefore you should be here. Yeah. (laughs) And we should be done. Like, why are we still having to build this? It is a, it's again, back to deliberateness and having to just do it. Yeah. And it is overwhelming and you do feel like you can't breathe. And I do end up in my room. You need like a, <laughs> like a, like a elementary school, like donation. Exactly. Chart. You need the from. Yeah. Um, oh man, I, I like, and I've said it already on this episode, but like, I feel like I'm learning so much because this is ones and fives are very similar in certain ways, mm-hmm. but socially not similar at all. And so that's why this is really interesting to me to just learn about, um, kind of what you guys go through. And it gives me so much more respect for um, the bravery of stepping into something that is so far out of you guys' comfort zone. So let's transition a little bit into marriage as it relates to parenting. So you're both married to eights or maybe counter sixes. <laughs> That's the first for, I heard of that. So I want to hear, can we do another episode? On yeah, that? Just yeah that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> maybe that'll be the six. dad's episode. There you go. Um, as of right now, when we're recording this, we have not recorded the dad's episode. So that's why I just said that. But, um, (laughs) so what, what do you guys, how, how does that relate to your marriage in regards to parenting? You both have very similar husbands. We'll say that, um, ones who can be instinct driven or whatever else. So what does that look like for you guys? Well, you know, I kind of alluded to this where my husband is great at creating these memories and experiences. That's something that's really important to him, and he's incredible at it. And my my instinct there is to observe and watch and enjoy from afar. And so kind of the dynamic there between Chuck and I is that he's always inviting me in, right? He's always – and not always so nice, right? Sometimes it's like, can you put your phone down or can you stop doing what you're doing and come engage with us, right? And so we we've had many a, a marital fight about my lack of engagement and um, being seen through his lens as not through a five lens, right? Like like um, until we learned about the number stuff, we really had no sense of he had no sense of understanding that that wasn't me saying, hey, whatever else I'm doing is more important to me than y'all, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of how that comes across from a five, um, to anyone that they're married to is that hey, whatever you're doing, like isolated in your room or reading a book or being on your phone or watching Netflix or whatever it is that we do to try to check out and get ground. Um, that in that place, it tends to signal to my husband or anybody that's married to a five is that whatever it is that they're doing is more important than because why else would you be choosing it? I don't understand it because that's not how they work. Right. Right. And so when it comes down to parenting, you know, I, I watch uh, my husband He's very engaging. He he's he's very in there more than me, right? Which which can really be hard for me, right? I can feel pretty bad about myself there. Like, you know, man, you know, maybe I'm not a good mom, right? When I know that I am in my brain, but in that moment, it can be hard because to levels of engagement can feel like that's how in you are or how committed you are or how good you're being or whatever. And so it, it can actually be very hard as a five on the other side of it to experience like hey, my threshold for engaging is not as high as his. He's an extrovert. I mean, he can engage all day long and never get tired. I mean, it exhausts me even just saying it right now. Like, I'm tired talking about it. <laughs> and and so, like, um, so there's some shame there, right? Until 
I kind of worked through, oh, I'm a five. And oh, my goodness, that's what that means. Like, um, really learning the Enneagram about the five really gave me a lot of grace um, and helps me to advocate for myself with my husband in this parenting gig um, because it's okay for me to ask for what I need. Like, I, I really do need to have some downtime and that that's not me trying to be an escapist, right? That's not me trying to avoid hard things. I do hard things all the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't need replenishment and and rest. Um, I've just learned to ask for it. And that goes a lot better than just disappearing because I mm-hmm. tend to disappear uh, when I'm just like, I think I'm done and I just disappear. And that drives my husband crazy. So um, really, it has to do with engagement mm-hmm. um, and even the allowance of rest in those places as a parent, because it can it can be a lot yeah. um, and their needs, what they need from me. Um, I need breaks there. And so trying to be a team player there and him recognizing me as a five and to fight for that space for me so that I can be the mom that I want to be is the balance that we fight for. Yeah. Um, I, what's helped me a lot in, in parenting and it, you would think with like this number of children that you can't, uh, always maintain a structure, but it's actually really good for them and it's really good for me and it gives me that space where I know I'm going to participate. So on any given day, I know like that we have this routine at that starts at four and I'm from four until it's time to go to bed at eight o'clock, those four hours, I'm going to be completely engaged. There's no checking out and I know ahead of time. So if I've had, you know, a rough few hours before that, or I know I'm going to have a rough day, I think when I when I did my um, talk with you last time, I like, you know, if it's a Thursday, I know these things are happening on Thursday. It's going to be a crap day. I'm going to check out at three and get myself ready for four. I'm mm. going to read a book. I'm going to be in silence. My husband knows this. Nobody's going to come knock at my door. This is me getting ready so that I can be engaged for what I know is coming. When you, It's much harder to try to be engaged for me in, in sporadic, unseen or unforeseen ways if that makes sense but having and it's not that at four o'clock we're going to do the exact same things every day it's just that i know this chunk of time this is my time this is me in this is i'm not anywhere else but right here and that i find that very helpful and i'm glad that i have a spouse that understands that need for you know space and quiet and um getting that energy ready yeah that's, I mean, that's, it's like super well articulated and it really does help, I think, me and hopefully all of the friends listening right now understand better. And my next question was, how does it influence your needs as a mom and wife? But I feel like, I mean, you guys have answered that so well. So maybe like you could answer with a more like trivial way. Like, what does that look like for your self care? Um, more, maybe more specifically. Um, I, I find that I have to be very, uh, careful about, self-care or maybe I don't have to be but I am Mm -hmm. um I I've really noticed it um with quarantine stuff and being stuck at home because that fits me so well that I can stop I can easily stop doing all the other things that are engaging like I I listened to two separate Ian Cron um podcasts during this time that one was about fives on lockdown and the other one was about five parents and both of them both of them said uh one of the key takeaways was try to hug every member of your household at least once a day. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know how many people are in my household? <laughs> Unfair. But it, but it is so easy 
to get in, engaged in myself and what I'm doing and to block out all these other things um, that I can easily be overcome by that. And it's not, it ceases to be self-care and just becomes self-preservation. Mm. If that, maybe that's the right word. I just, it's not, it's no longer feeding me towards giving you energy. It's just a lockdown of you're not getting any. Um, so I think that finding that balance and giving myself a limit and saying, okay, at this point it's self-care and at this point it's just, you know, being uninvolved. Then like for me, I have to write it down. That's like, that's the pull quote right there. Like that. Oh my goodness. I love it. Even, yeah, Amy's nodding too. Um, okay, what about you, Amy? Well, first of all, what Jolene's talking about is a thing. Um, you know, lockdown, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm living my best life right now. Um, this could not get any better. And I'm watching my my seven friends like self-destruct, right? And I'm like, oh, it sucks to be them. I am loving this, right? And so as Jolene was talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I said that same thing to myself, which is this is too much of a good thing for me, right? Mm. Like, so just because it feels good, and I love it does not mean it's for my good, right? So that's that tricky thing. So you're asking about self-care and Jolene brilliantly painted the picture of what a five has to fight is that what feels good to us. And um, the self-care is in moderation because if we do too much of that, we're isolating, we're avoiding, and that feels good to us, right? Like that, that does not feel bad. And so back to the self-care, you know, to add to what she said is, um, are some of those avoidant behaviors like um, Netflix. I love Netflix. I love serial killer shows, right? <laughs> um, if I can do those things, I am living my best life. Um, I got a coffee on the way here to this talk, like just doing these little things where I show myself I matter and I can breathe for a minute. Um, driving here, that was wonderful. Um, you know, um, reading a book, talking to a friend, um, think, think very simple things. Um, it really doesn't take much. Um, but I, I like that we're talking about the danger of too much of that ends, uh, ends us up in isolation and that actually feels good to us. So, so we have to watch that. Like we, there's actually a danger in too much self-care. I don't know if that's the way to say it or not, but there's a danger <laughs> in what we would consider self-care, um, can, can fit right into our unhealthy five. And then, and then we're not, then we're, we're beginning to hurt the relationships around us, which is not self-care, right? Because yeah. we were designed for connection. Um, and so it's an ever, ever ending balance here. And this is where I need my husband to help me. This is that when I me. need him to be my baseline and say, hey, Amy, I think you're going too far. <laughs> and then I get mad you at him. I'm like, no, it's not too far. <laughs> and then he's right. So <laughs> I couldn't have possibly are. imagined a better answer like from either of you. <laughs> like, I've learned so much. Um, okay. I Are do you- like to tackle my kids one-on-one. That I, I think that's a, a good for me mm-hmm. um, because I feel like I'm engaging and I can do – I heard you laugh about you don't like to do Legos, but I actually love Legos because they're a very quiet activity and I it's something I can get sucked into. So, you know, I have one kid that I play Legos with. I have one kid that really enjoys Othello. I have another kid who enjoys books and murder shows. Like, And so I try to, like, divide up my time that way so that – there's not this overwhelming, I'm trying to do something fun with all of you all together at once because that's just, I'm more likely to disappear. But in those little one-on-one moments, I can have a connection and I can have a conversation and not be completely overwhelmed by 
everything else that's going on. So yeah. Same. That's me. Same. That's. I mean, that's good advice for everyone because, I mean, I think that yeah, all of it, all of it is, I think, applicable to everyone. We just can't all see it. Like knowing that if I'm hanging out with either of you, that you have already paid for that to yourself. And I think for me, I pay for that too. I just don't think about it. I don't process that I have paid for that or that I will pay for it later, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, I, I don't know what a healthy way to think about things. Cause we all do that. We all need time by ourselves. We all need time of connection and for so many of us, literally eight other types of people, we don't weigh that intentionally. So it's just really, really cool to hear you guys talk about it. Um, are you guys ready for some closing questions? Sure. Sure. Okay. So just for fun, what is the most overtly five thing about you guys, each of you? Uh, my my coworkers say uh, I have a my five superpower is disappearing. And I think that's my most overtly five thing. We can be having a meeting, maybe like this one. And if I feel like we've accomplished the goals of the meeting and now people are just chatting, you may look up and say, what happened to Jolene? I don't know. I guess she just disappeared. Or if I don't want to hear you, I won't hear you. If I'm doing my thing or I'm reading a book, my mom calls that selective hearing. My coworkers are kind of call that another one of my superpowers. So, <laughs> I love that. I wish I could have some of that with my kids because they're so loud. (laughs) What about you, Amy? I feel like the most overt thing is I tend to, if people paid attention, they really would realize that they don't really see my picture. Um, I have this uncanny ability to know everybody's picture, but they don't really know mine. And so that's something else that we do is that our, our world and our pain and everything is, is internal and we process it all internal. And so I don't realize I do it. I'm not like conscious of doing it, but I would say that's probably my number one is that, um, especially in what I do, I'm a trauma counselor. So I'm always like, like learning other people's pictures Mm -hmm. and can tell it to them in an instant. Um, but no one would know mine. I have to work against that. I have to like purposely, it's not that I'm trying to be private or I don't want people to know. I just don't think about doing it. Mm -hmm. It's just not something that naturally comes to me. So I'm actually very open. Um, I just, it's just not my instinct to let my picture out. It doesn't occur to you. Yeah. It does not occur to me. Practice vulnerability. Right. Um, Okay. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about being a five? My favorite thing is the observations and the dots I can connect. Um, I love being in my brain and I love um, staying curious and seeing new things and putting things together. And in that place um, can bring people a lot of relief um, because not everybody can do that. And so it feels like it's a ninja skill within my number that can serve other people well. And so I, it best comes out in my counseling practice where I can listen and observe and pull everything in and then spit it right back out into a really cool mirror um, where people are like, whoa, yeah, that's exactly what that is. And and so um, I love how that part of me gets to help other people. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do Jolene's favorite, and then we'll go back to you okay. for Lee's favorite. Oh, goodness. What if my favorite is the same favorite? I just – I I picture myself as somebody who puts together puzzles, and I, I just – I enjoy that part of life, collecting viewpoints, collecting – experiences, collecting personalities and, and putting them all together and making connections and 
and solving. I have that six wing. So problem solver is kind of in my, mm-hmm. um, kind of my moniker. And I, I enjoy that. I like being the person that you can ask, how do I fix this? And I can tell you. Yeah. Cool. Uh, least favorite, Amy. Least favorite is I wish I could be just more where I didn't have to count the cost of everything. I, I think that exhaustion or that hesitancy to just freely give, whereas I, I see that as a as a positive protective trait, I also see it as a hindrance where I see other people, especially my seven friends, like they could just be like, someone somebody wants them to do this and they're like, sure. And they just jump into it. And I'm like, what's that like? I don't I don't even know what that's like. And so I think probably my least favorite because I know that in that place I can hurt people and in that place I'm also protective. So it's kind of a disorganized, um, unsure place inside of me. And so I'd like to have a little bit more abandon, you know, than what my five allows Mm -hmm. where um, people might even experience me as spontaneous at times, but it's really not like I've already counted that cost. It's very calculated (laughs) spontaneity, right? And so I feel that as a one. Mm -hmm. It's it's practiced. And um, some of the things that I am good at like hospitality are practiced disciplined things over years that like don't come naturally but that I practiced over the years um but I again my my dislike is gonna um line up almost exactly with yours I just there are many times I wish that I knew in a moment what I was feeling in that moment like I'm very disassociative and I'm like I may even know that I'm having a feeling, but I need to remove myself from it. Think about it. I have this whole hierarchy of, was that a correct response, an incorrect response? Was it a reasonable response or an unreasonable response? Was it an emotional response or just a, you know? And I would I would like to have, I often say to my husband, I'm like, I would like to spend a day just like you, where like you stay what's on your mind, you have all your feelings, and you go to sleep and you don't think about any of it. Like... <laughs> That I would like that, but only for a day because I don't dislike it that much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting concept. I love that. Um, Okay. What do you wish that every five mom knew about her number going into adoption? Hmm. I would say that count the cost thing that we just talked about. Um, You know, um, I love I love what Jolene said at the beginning of this talk, which is, hey, we counted the cost and we did it and we're doing it. Um, I really liked when she said that. Um, So I say that both in a protective way and an encouraging way. Right. Like that five potential five adoptive mamas coming into this. It's like, hey, listen to our stories. Right. Like we've adapted. We've we've um, had to uh, duke it out and we're doing it and actually um, our fiveness and whoever God brings into our home is going to be okay with that. Like Jolene mm-hmm. painted that picture of every number brings a unique characteristic into a home and that I believe in God's design. That's exactly what those kids need um, for what God's preparing for them in their future. And so while it will be hard for us in some ways, I guarantee as you listen to all these other podcasts with all the different numbers, you're going to see that there's hard in every number. Um, and so um, I would say you can do it, um, but knowing about your number, like know your number. Um, I, I started this journey without knowing it, and now that I know it, I'm walking it way more graciously, way mm-hmm. more intentionally, speaking of that intentional word, 
um, my husband and I are walking it way more with eyes open and realizing all the factors that I matter as well and that I don't have to sacrifice myself in the process of, you know, um, what happens here. And so there is a way for fives to do this journey. Um, as you learn to use your voice there and learn to ask for your needs um, and you uh, lean into the accountability of your spouse that can help you see when you've gone too far in your needs for isolation. Um, I, I think I think walking in with your eyes open and to not have to feel that you have to be self-sufficient in this journey, you're going to need your tribe. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I think added to my trauma early on that I'm having to work out is that I I, di- I just didn't know. I, di- I just didn't know how to reach out and say, hey, I'm not okay. I need your help. And how many times in the call do we train families? <laughs> you cannot do this alone. I've yeah. said it. I, I've said it in training. You cannot do this alone. I've said yet, it in recruitment meetings. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so I, I think your inclination to self-efficiency, um, you'll have to tell yourself beforehand, I'm going to ask for help. This is how I'm going to ask for mm-hmm. help. Um, I've already prepared people that when I say this code word, that means I need help because I don't know how to do this. Spaghetti, right? Spaghetti. (laughs) That's the code word for I need help. You know, we don't know how to do this. And so I think having a plan for don't do it alone is really important. Um, And that you get to ask for what you need there. That's very important to sustain the journey. You can't sacrifice yourself here. Your family needs the mama and the wife. Um, So those are my things. Uh, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I just, I, the thing I would say is you're a cost counter as a five, but that should never stop you from doing the things or living your life or taking a chance or stepping out in faith. Go ahead and do what you need to, to get the information and, but recognize that as a five, you're uniquely placed to gather all that information to, to learn it, uh, calculate it, set up a plan and work towards that and just know those things ahead of time. And like, Knowing it, um, that five gift of knowing things and just makes it that much. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. Mm. I know I'm going to have to ask for help. So I'm going to talk to people ahead of time. I got a plan for making sure that um, that the people in my life know this is what's going to happen. I, I'm going to have traumatized kids. How many videos can I watch and what books can I read and how can I, what people can I start reaching out to like all that information gathering will benefit you and make you a good parent. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the same parent as the sevens that have all the fun, but you're going to be a well-informed um, mama yeah. who knows what's going on with their kids. Even if you can't always personally relate to it, you can see it and recognize it and formulate a plan. Good stuff. Um, okay. So, Last question, what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for Enneagram 5 adoptive moms like living it now? Like maybe they are in need of saying spaghetti from the rooftops. <laughs> uh, it's okay to say spaghetti. Uh, you you do need to speak up and say, I need help. And I I hope and pray that you have people in your life that you can do that with. And if you And if you don't right now, like – try to start cultivating mm-hmm. that because it is very necessary. You can't walk through it alone. And, uh, and it's, even if that's just somebody that you can sit next to and, and you feel better being by them, if you can't, if it starts off with you not being able to say everything, but just maybe hear some good, that's, that's a good place to start. Yeah. 
And I, I have begun to kind of paint my picture to my friends, my closest safe friends, of what my not okay looks like. Um, I think five's not okay is is kind of a hard thing to translate. Mm-hmm. And so I describe to my friends that I am a quiet drowner. So if I'm not okay, you will never know it because I, it's just that train thing in me where I, I just don't know how to turn and say, SOS help, I'm not okay. And so I will work so hard internally to be okay to the point where I've already drowned and I never yelled out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my friends, it's like, it's like my encouragement there is like, hey, if you're in that place, um, sometimes one of the safety parameters you can put in your life is letting your friends know what you're not okay looks like because sometimes they need to be watching for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, other people SOS when they're not okay. Fives normally don't. Fives mm-hmm. normally begin to drown and, and they just try to out, out think it or out ground themselves there. Um, and so that's one thing I do. Um, for my own protection, right? Because I can't always count on myself to know when I'm not okay because we're not connected to our feelings. Yeah. We can know we have a feeling in our brain, <laughs> but we don't always know. Like people say, hey, Amy, how are you doing? And I'll say, I don't know, actually. I, I think I'm fine. I haven't thought about it. Right? I haven't really thought about it. And so, and so there's that. And then there's also just, you know, I, I create space once a week or every other week where I meet with a counselor and that's my space, right? Mm-hmm. That's my space where I ask that counselor, dig into me. Right. Make sure that you help me to see where I'm at here because I can't always know. And so whoever's in it right now, you know, get to that kind of a person stat because we can't we are probably I I guess I can't say this. I don't know enough about the Enneagram to say this, but I think we're the most in danger of not being okay and not knowing it. And so um, I know that what we do is crazy hard Um, taking trauma kids into our home. There's no way we're okay. You know, like with everything we just talked about today. So mm-hmm. I would yeah. say um, get your butt to counseling is what yeah. I would say. And that almost needs to be a PSA for people who aren't fives, but no one. Because I, I would say that's one of the biggest dangers. If you're not extremely close with a five, you're just from the outside looking in. It's like, wow, that person is really put together. That person's always on top of things. I, I battle with that with my own family because I'm – the first child and I'm a five and my parents just always assume that I have everything together and I don't need help. So like they check in with other siblings. Don't check in with me that much because you're fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Always fine. Um, and uh, yeah, you don't, my husband's more likely to see it in me before I see it in myself. I think that's just, yeah. The burden of being fine. You don't really think about that as like a load in and of itself. But like that, that burden of like, everyone assumes that I'm fine. So I have to carry that is that must be really hard. So, yeah. Um, Okay. Ladies, just thank you. First of all, like so much information, so much like good insight and advice. And I'm really grateful. And I know that everyone listening is going to be too. How can we find you? And I know that you guys are not easy to find necessarily, but People have follow-up questions and they can find you in the Adoptive Mom Facebook group for sure, but where else? Well, <laughs> neither one of us want to answer that. We just looked at each other awkwardly. How, off the how grid. about a light in the sky and if I see it, I'll, I'll answer. Like a, like, a bouncing, like a five signal. I, I love how you could ask that question any other number and they they can spill off all kinds of things. And like, Jolene and I just... Out, I don't even know how to work Instagram. I don't. <laughs> so I'm on Instagram, Amy the Butler. And I'm on Facebook, same, Amy the Butler. So those I'm are Jolene Williams-Smith on Facebook. 
Okay. <laughs> Jolene Williams Smith. Yes, yeah. and I will ex- <laughs> I will extract photos out of them to post on the show notes so you can see like what they look like, their faces, even though they are off the grid. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, okay, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.